Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you. Thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. As always, please be sure to check out our episode description. There you can find our support link, as well as a link to my TikToks and Instagram. And you can find my email for any business inquiries. Today, we're going to be talking about the very mysterious case of Molly Martin's Corbett. This case has been very conflicted in the media. People really don't know what to think. And the evidence painted a very different picture than a story that Molly and her father Tom decided to give police. We're going to get into all of that. It's a very interesting case. So please buckle up bear with me because it's going to be a lot. Molly Martins Corbett was born on September 28th, 1983 in Knoxville, Tennessee. Her parents' names were Tom Martins and Sharon Martins, and she had three brothers, and she was the second oldest. Her father, Tom, actually worked in the FBI for 30 years, and her mother was a doctor of mathematics. She was raised in a life of privilege. They were a very well-off family. Molly was described as being smart, sociable, a little bit stubborn, but still very friendly, and she loved to read. But if there was one thing about Molly, she struggled a lot with physical and mental health issues from a pretty early age. And because of this, she missed a lot of school growing up. So she really struggled to get her mental health together. She really had a lot of issues with that growing up. But nonetheless, she still wanted to go to school and become a doctor. She decided to attend Clemson University in South Carolina in order to do so. But while she was in school, she really struggled. Her mental and physical health issues really started to take a toll on her life. And she was struggling with headaches, bouts of anxiety, and just the course load that it took to become a doctor. So she decided to drop out. After Molly dropped out, she met a man named Keith Magin, and they got engaged within a year of dating. She also got pregnant, but unfortunately, she suffered a miscarriage. Molly felt very lost after this. She really didn't know what to do with herself. She had dropped out of school. She really didn't know what to do. So she decided to join a nanny agency, and it was at this point that she got connected to a man named Jason Corbett, who desperately needed a nanny to help him raise his two kids because their mother had passed away. So let's talk about Jason Corbett for a little bit. He was born on February 12, 1976 in Limerick, Ireland. He was one of eight siblings, so he had a very big family. His parents' names were John and Rita Corbett, and he was described as being very gentle, funny, friendly, very jovial. He was always smiling, and he just loved being around people, and he was always a hard worker. No matter what job Jason did, he was going to put 110% behind it. At 27, he married his first wife, Margaret, who went by Mags, and they welcomed two children, Jack and Sarah. But unfortunately, on November 1st, 2006, at the age of 30, 31 years old, Mags passed away unexpectedly from a severe asthma attack in the middle of the night. And it was so devastating for their family. Jack was only two years old and Sarah was only three months old. And now Jason was left to raise them all on his own. Jumping back to when Jason got connected with Molly through the nanny agency, he decided that he really needed a nanny and he wanted it to be her. And he reached out to her specifically. The only problem was that Jason lived all the way in Ireland and Molly was all the way in Knoxville, Tennessee. And she has a fiance, but she didn't want to stay there anymore. She felt like there wasn't really much left for her in the town at that time. She wanted to venture out and take a risk. In March of 2008, at the age of 24, Molly decided to move all the way to Ireland and moved 
in with Jason to help him raise his two young children, Jack and Sarah. Now, Keith was pretty upset about this, obviously, considering the fact that that was his fiance and now she's moving to a whole different country. According to Keith, he and Molly were still together by the time she left and she broke it off with him when she got there. But according to Molly, she broke it off with him before she even left. Almost immediately after Molly arrived in Ireland, her and Jason began having a pretty intimate relationship. Now there have been rumors that they started having an intimate relationship the night she got there, but she denies this. However, she did say that it happened pretty quickly after. Now she was hesitant about this at first because he technically was her boss, but she just couldn't help herself. She felt attracted to him and eventually she fell in love with him and Jason fell in love with her. Not to mention, Jack and Sarah absolutely loved Molly. Molly loved the kids. She loved being a nanny because it gave her a sense of responsibility. In 2010, Jack was about three years old and Sarah was one and Molly is continuing to help raise them along with Jason. But on Valentine's Day, Jason decides to take things a step further. He proposes to Molly in a bistro in his hometown and she happily says yes. She couldn't wait to start a family with Jason and be with him. She was already really a part of the family so it just seemed like the next natural step for them to get married. A year after getting engaged, Molly and Jason decided to move from Ireland back to the United States and in 2011, they tied the knot. They had a very beautiful ceremony, Jack and Sarah were of course in the wedding and they looked so cute. But there were some rumblings going on within Jason's family about Molly that really rubbed them the wrong way. According to Jason's sister Tracy, Molly seemed very uptight the day of the wedding. She said she was trying to control everything, she wasn't happy, and she wasn't being very social. Tracy says that the person she met in Ireland was not the same person that she was experiencing now on this wedding day. So she definitely was a bit taken back by that. Jason's friends also said that he seemed very stressed and just overall unhappy. One of his friends even told him, you know, you don't have to go through with this if you don't want to. Like, I honestly think you should leave because you just don't seem happy. And according to him, Jason responded with, I already made the commitment. I don't have a choice. I can't turn back now, I have to do it. So he did. Not really what you wanna hear, right before you're about to get married that can't back out now. But according to his friend, this is what he said. And they ended up going through with the marriage. After the wedding, the whole family decided to move to Davidson County in North Carolina near the Winston-Salem area. And they moved into a big four bed, three bath house that was near a golf course, which was good for Jason because he enjoyed golfing on the weekends. Life seemed to be going really well for this blended family. They had a nice house, they'd had a great wedding, and they were finally living the American dream. Molly was a stay at home mom, she was taking care of the kids, while Jason was out working providing for the family. Molly really wanted to adopt Jack and Sarah legally. She had been raising them since they were babies pretty much. She really just wanted to be able to legally call herself their mother. But for some reason, Jason was really not into this. He did not want Molly to adopt the kids. And a lot of this had to do with the fact, according to his family, was their mother who had passed away. He didn't want anybody to take away the rights from Mags, even though she was already gone and he just felt very weird about that. But according to Molly, Jason didn't allow her to adopt the kids because he liked having the legal control over them and he didn't want her to have it. According to Molly, Jason was starting to become very possessive, very controlling, and he was always paranoid about what she was doing when she wasn't around him. Sometimes he would even pick out her clothes and he didn't want her to socialize a lot because he was just very jealous. He was very controlling and he was very possessive. The first few months, you just kind of brush that off. Off. You think, oh well, 
He just loves me so much. But those kind of things got worse. He was uncomfortable with you socializing? He was paranoid that I would develop some feelings for someone else and or that somebody would look at me the wrong way. He was worried you were gonna leave him for another man. Um, he was worried about a lot of things. And this is all according to Molly, but this was very different than the way that people who knew Jason described him. They always said that he was very gentle, very caring, very compassionate, and that Molly was the one who was controlling and had all of the issues. It was very back and forth. Everybody was saying completely different things about the other person. According to Tracy, Jason's sister, he wanted to leave Molly. He wanted to take the kids and go back to Ireland and be with his family, but he was scared to leave because he knew that Molly would be very controlling and wouldn't want him to go. So it's very back and forth. There's different accounts of things, but this was according to Jason's sister. So Molly said that Jason was just really good at hiding it. Everybody had this image of him that wasn't true according to her because they didn't see how he treated her behind closed doors. Things between them were really starting to heat up and they were escalating more and more. They would even fight in front of the kids and it was very intense. So much so that Molly decided that she wanted to go to a lawyer to see what her options were because she just couldn't take the fighting and the verbal and physical abuse that she had been experiencing according to her. So her lawyer tells her to go ahead and start recording her and Jason's fights secretly so that way she can have leverage to hold on to just in case they did decide to get divorced. So that's what Molly did. She started recording her fights with Jason secretly and I'm gonna play one of them for you here. Are you finished with your dinner, hon? I'm talking to you. No. Is this how you treat this event? You just ignore me? I said, I'd like to have dinner with my family. I'm talking to you. I shouldn't have to say over and over. I shouldn't have to say, Molly. Can you guys get out of the stuff for No, you're. I'm seeing. Here you go again. I'm talking to you. And you're still going on talking about something else. It's really hard to hear Jason's daughter, Sarah, yelling in the background because she's so young at the time and she really shouldn't have to deal with that. And Jack was saying stuff too, like they shouldn't have to get involved. And it's sad that they would even do that around them and get that upset and loud around the kids. They shouldn't have to hear that at all. Molly said the abuse just continued to get worse and worse between her and Jason. So much so that he would even choke her to the point of passing out. And he did this on a consistent basis. Choking me would turn into something sexual or sometimes the other way around. So sometimes he would choke you in anger and sometimes he would choke you during sex. Did that scare you? Everything always felt so real and so scary in the moment when it was happening. Did you ever pass out? I did. Molly really wanted to leave Jason, but he had control over the kids. She had not adopted them, so she had no legal rights to them. She knew leaving Jason would mean leaving the kids. And that was just something that she wasn't willing to do. She stayed and took the abuse because she didn't want to leave the kids there by themselves. Things got so bad that at one point, Molly really thought that Jason would potentially kill her. He would choke her at night while they were just laying in bed. She felt very helpless and just overall concern for her life. Now there was a rumor, according to Molly's dad, Tom, that he had spoken to Mags's father. Now remember, Mags is Jason's first wife. According to Molly's dad, Tom, Mags' father told him that he thinks Jason killed his daughter and that she did not die from an asthma attack. This is just a rumor. This has not been confirmed. Nobody's been charged with Mags' death. Molly said she had heard this rumor before too, and at first she didn't believe it. But over time, she started to wonder if it was true because 
Jason would choke her on a consistent basis. And in the middle of the night was when they would have their worst fights. And remember, Mags passed away at around three in the morning. This hasn't been proven. Nobody's been charged with Mags' death, but this was a rumor that was going around within Mags' family, according to Tom, Molly's father. On August 2nd, 2015, was a normal Saturday for the family. Jack and Sarah actually had playdates to attend and Molly was gonna go ahead and take them while Jason was out doing his thing. I'm assuming he was playing golf or just hanging out with friends. But that night, Molly's parents were actually going to visit them after everybody came back to the house and was done with their errands for the day. Tom said that he really didn't like going to Molly and Jason's too much because he knew about the abuse that was going on, but he really wanted to be there to support his daughter. He wanted her to know that he had her back no matter what. So Molly's parents showed up to her and Jason's house around 8.30 p.m. They actually had a nice present for Jack who was playing on the Little League baseball team and they gave him a really nice bat. They all sat around and had pizza for dinner. They hung out together and eventually everybody goes to bed. Molly's parents, Tom and Sharon, actually decided to spend the night. They stayed in the guest room in the basement. Molly and Tom's room was on the first floor and Jack and Sarah's rooms were on the second floor. So this next part, the story that I'm going to recount is based on Molly and Tom's account. These are their words. This has not been proven. This has not been verified. This is simply their account. According to Molly, she woke up around 3 a.m. to the sound of Sarah whispering at her and Jason's bedroom door. Now this was something that Sarah did fairly often. If she ever had a nightmare, she would come down to the door and she would whisper, hoping that Molly would hear her because Jason didn't like to be woken up at night. Sarah was afraid to go in their room and tell Molly she was having a nightmare because she didn't want to wake her father up and make him mad. Which if that's true, that makes me really sad. I used to have horrible nightmares as a child and anytime I had a nightmare, my parents always made me feel like I could go to them. The fact that she was having these nightmares and she felt like she couldn't go in the room and go to her father without getting in trouble is sad. Molly heard Sarah whispering, so she decided to get up quietly so she wouldn't wake Jason, open the door and make sure Sarah was okay. She walked her back upstairs to her room, laid with her until she fell asleep, and then she went back down to her and Jason's room. But as she was going down the stairs, she woke Jason up and Jason was very mad. He was upset. He's like, why are you up? Why are you waking me up? Molly's like, Sarah had a nightmare and I was just making sure she was okay. Jason was saying how, oh, she's too old to be getting all upset about nightmares. I believe she was eight years old at the time. And Jason was just making her feel bad about the fact that she helped his daughter through a nightmare, which is kind of crazy. You should want to be with somebody that cares that much about your child to get up at three in the morning and lay with them until they fall asleep after having a nightmare. But again, this hasn't been proven, but if that is true, that's kind of wild to be mad at. Now, Molly said normally she would kind of just let Jason go. She'd let him yell, let him scream, and then she would just go back to bed in order to keep the peace. But that night she decided to stand up for herself. And she said she felt a lot more confident to do so because her parents were sleeping right below them on the bottom floor. She knew that if something happened, they would have her back. So she said, you know what? I'm standing up for myself. And Jason starts screaming and he just loses it. He can't stand the fact that Molly's now stood up to him, they start to get into an argument. And it was at this point that Tom, Molly's father, heard her and Jason arguing from the floor below. And he also heard some thumping noises. And he said it woke him out of his sleep and he was just like, what is going on? So he decides to go upstairs, but not before arming himself with the baseball bat that he had brought Jack as a present. So he goes upstairs with the baseball bat and he sees that Jason has Molly in a chokehold. 
According to Tom, he's saying that he's going to kill her. Tom, of course, freaks out. Molly's screaming for her life because Tom's choking her and she doesn't know what to do. Then Jason starts dragging Molly by the neck to the bathroom. And Tom knew that if he gets that door closed, my daughter is going to die. So Tom takes the baseball bat and he hits Jason in the back of the head. But nothing happens. Jason is continuing to drag Molly to the bathroom as if he wasn't just hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat. It was crazy that he just continued to walk, continued to drag Molly. Tom's very confused, doesn't know what to do. So he hits him again. After Tom hits Jason with the baseball bat for a second time, Jason starts coming after him. So he takes Molly out of the chokehold and he starts coming after Tom. Somehow he gets the bat away from Tom. Now Tom is in this situation where he's terrified because now Jason has the bat. And they begin wrestling to see who can get control over the bat again. As they're in this tug of war for the bat, Jason falls to the ground and he stops moving. After that, the fight was over. Now, if there's one thing that's very interesting about this, it's the fact that no one woke up and no one came to the room to see what was going on. Jack and Sarah never came down to the room. And according to Molly, she said they never heard the altercation because the door was closed. But Tom was in the basement and he heard the altercation going on. So that kind of doesn't make any sense. And Molly's mother never came upstairs. She was still down in the basement. Now, we don't know if she was awake or asleep or not, but according to Molly, she said that her father told her mother to stay in the basement and not get involved before he came upstairs. Tom decides to call the Davidson County Sheriff's Department and report what's happened. And I'm gonna play that 911 call for you here. What's going on, man? He's in bad shape. We need help. Okay, what do you mean he's in bad shape? He's hurt? He's bleeding all over and I, I may have killed him. I hit him in the head. With what? With a baseball bat. With a baseball bat? Yes, ma'am. He was choking my daughter. He said I'm gonna kill her. He was instructed to give Jason CPR. So he hands the phone over to Molly in order to do so. At this point, Molly is talking to the dispatcher about what's going on. Listen to me, I need you to calm down so that we can help him, okay? I'm certified. I, I just can't think. Okay. Police and EMTs arrive at Molly and Jason's home to assess the scene, and they pronounce 39-year-old Jason Corbett dead at the scene. This is such a devastating blow to the kids. They have now lost their second parent, and Jack was only 10 years old and Sarah was eight. Now both of their parents are gone in such a tragic, sudden way. The fact that they were in the house when this happened, when they get old enough, it's just gonna be so traumatic for them to have to hear about what really happened between their parents. Jason's funeral was held in Limerick, Ireland, where he was from, and all of his friends and family came out to support, and they were devastated. They could not believe that this happened to Jason because he was such a gentle person, according to them. He was very friendly. He was never known to be violent. So the fact that this is how they were being told things went down, they just couldn't believe it. Jumping back to the night Jason was killed, Killed. Molly and Tom are both separated and taken in separate police cars to the station to be questioned. And it was during Molly's interview that she admitted she actually hit Jason with a brick. Now, investigators were a little bit confused. They didn't know where she got a brick from in her room or why there was a brick on her nightstand. I 
But she said that her and the kids were actually going to paint these bricks in order to decorate the garden with them. But she left the brick inside because she didn't want it to get wet from the rain. Her and Tom then went on to tell the story that I pretty much just told to you all and just giving their account of things. And after seven hours of questioning, they were both brought back to the scene. According to the detective, they were told, look, this looks like a self-defense case. You'll probably be okay given the story that you told. But police noticed some pretty interesting evidence at the scene that definitely contradicted Molly and Tom's account of what happened. First of all, Jason's injuries were horrific. His skull was crushed. He looked like he had been beaten very, very bad. But Tom and Molly had no injuries. They barely had any blood on them. So it just didn't make sense for Jason's injuries to be so bad, but yet there was this huge altercation and neither of them, Molly or Tom, had any injuries at all. Now, according to Molly and Tom, Jason had grabbed her neck and had her in a chokehold, which is why Tom hit him with a baseball bat in the first place. But Molly had no injuries on her neck. There were no markings of any kind. So what really happened? Police believe that Molly and Tom both continued to hit Jason with either the brick or the bat after he was already dead. And this is because of the blood spatter evidence that was found on the wall of the room. So let me break that down for you here. Jason was a taller guy. So if he was hit with the bat or the brick while he was still standing, there would have been blood spatter on the wall eye level to him, but there wasn't. There was hardly any at all. All of the blood spatter was concentrated 12 to 18 inches above the ground, meaning that Jason would have to be a foot tall for him to have been standing while he was hit, which is just impossible. This indicates that Jason was on the ground when he was being hit. How is Jason a threat if he was only a foot from the ground? Stands to reason he was laying down. So why was he still being hit? Why was he being hit at all? This really got rid of the whole Jason was attacking us and it was a self-defense theory. If that were the case, there would have been blood spatter higher up on the walls where Jason most likely would have been standing. There was also blood spatter found on the bottom of Tom's boxers, meaning that he had to have been hitting Jason while he was standing over top of him. If he was standing eye level to Jason, the blood spatter would have gotten on his shirt, on his face, on his glasses. It wouldn't have gotten on his boxers. Police also discovered that Tom never performed CPR on Jason like he said he did. Remember I said he handed the phone over to Molly so he could perform CPR, but Tom had absolutely no blood on him and Jason was covered in blood. And maybe he washed his hands before EMTs arrived, but that doesn't explain why there was hardly any blood on his clothes. Police really weren't believing the self-defense story. They felt like they just found too many things that contradicted it. So they decided to charge Molly and Tom with the second degree murder of Jason Corbett. Now Tom was very, very confused by this because he and Molly had only been questioned one time and being an ex FBI agent, he just felt like this was way too soon of a call to make without having much more to go off of. He felt like it was wrong that Molly wasn't asked about the abuse that had been going on in the home and what may have led to this happening. She wasn't asked about it. But detectives argued that if she had that to share, she should have told us. Why should we have to ask you if there was any abuse going on? But I guess investigators felt like they didn't need to question Tom and Molly again. They felt like they had enough evidence to arrest them. Now, before Molly and Tom were arrested, Molly was very concerned about what was going to happen to Jack and Sarah. Remember, she didn't have any legal rights to them. She hadn't adopted them, but now both of their biological parents are gone. So 
who gets the kids? They had been living with Molly for a little bit after the incident happened, but after looking at Jason's will, it was said that in the event of his death, they were to go with his sister, Tracy, who lived all the way in Limerick, Ireland. Because of this, the kids had to go through the horrible, horrible task of leaving their home and going with a social worker. And it was devastating for them. They had to go with the social worker so they could be placed in the custody of Jason's sister, Tracy, and her husband, David. The day after they were taken by the social worker, Molly was allowed to visit with the kids for one hour before they were taken back to Ireland. Molly recalls the horrible moment where she had to say goodbye to the kids for the last time. Molly gave Sarah a necklace and the kids wrote her a very sweet letter saying how much they loved her and that she was still their mom. And the next day, they went back to Ireland and Molly never saw them again. The kids have been uprooted and they've gone through so much in their young little lives and things just keep happening to them and they have no control over it. And now they have to leave the only mother that they've ever known and go all the way back to Ireland with the rest of their family because Molly really had no rights to them and she was responsible for their father's death. It's just all around a very, very poor situation, especially for the kids. They've suffered so much. Molly went as far as posting her number on Facebook so the kids could get in touch with her. And Jack actually did. He left her a voicemail. He was telling her to just keep fighting and that he loved her and that she was always going to be his mother. You can really tell how much the kids loved Molly and how much they respected her as their mother, but unfortunately the law is the law. And if she didn't have any legal rights to them, there was really nothing that she could do about it. In August of 2017, the trial for Molly and Tom began at the Davidson County Courthouse in North Carolina, and the prosecution presented their argument first. They theorized that there was no attack between Molly and Jason at all, and that Tom planned to spend the night at Molly's house that night specifically so he could kill Jason. They said that there's just no way that they could have absolutely no injuries on them if there was some sort of altercation. They also believed that Tom was just changing his story way too much. It went from him overpowering Jason to Jason overpowering him. They felt like it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And if Tom was able to get control of Jason and overpower him so quickly, why did he feel the need to kill him? They also brought up the blood spatter evidence that I mentioned earlier about how there was hardly any on the wall where Jason would have been standing when he was hit and how it was mostly concentrated on the bottom of the wall where Jason most likely would have been laying down, theorizing that Jason was attacked himself and that Tom and Molly just ambushed him out of nowhere. They also believed that Molly hit Jason with the brick and killed him because she didn't want him to leave and go back to Ireland. Now, I remember earlier I said Tracy was talking about the fact that Jason was really considering moving back to Ireland and taking the kids with him. They think that Molly had caught wind of this and decided to kill Jason herself, thinking that she was going to automatically get custody of the kids because they were married. But this isn't what happened. They also thought it was odd that Molly's mother, Sharon, never came upstairs to see what was going on because of this huge altercation that was possibly taking place. And if it was as loud and as bad as they said it was, and especially considering Jason's injuries, why wouldn't Molly's mother come up and see what's going on? And how did the kids not wake up at all? But according to the defense, Molly's mother was told to stay put because Tom didn't want her getting involved. As I said, they don't think that there was any kind of altercation or confrontation that happened at all. They think Tom just crept up there, dragged Jason out of bed and hit him and that there was no altercation leading up to Jason being killed which is why not a lot of noise was made and nobody woke up. 
The defense presented their argument and Tom actually took the stand and testified on his own behalf. And he said that he felt like he had no choice but to kill Jason with the bat because if he didn't, he was going to kill him or his daughter. When Jason ended up getting the bat, he knew that he had to act quick. He knew he couldn't let his daughter get trapped in that bathroom with him because she may not come out. He felt like he didn't have any other choice. The defense team also showed a picture of Jason post-mortem and it showed him holding a blonde hair in his hand, but this hair was never tested. Now they're assuming that it's Molly's because she was blonde and she was there that night, but they never tested this hair. So we really don't know who it belongs to. The defense team argued that this indicated that Jason did in fact choke Molly. And this is why her father decided that she had to attack him. They also spoke to the abuse that had gone on in the household leading up to Jason being killed. And it was going on for months and months and it had gotten worse to the point where Jason was capable of doing something that could in fact hurt Molly. They theorized that Tom really had to kill Jason in order to save himself and her life. There were also interviews conducted by a child psychologist who spoke to Jack and Sarah to see if they could paint a picture of what happened and just what was going on in the house as a whole. And they both said that Jason abused Molly. And when he would get mad, what would he do? He would physically and verbally hurt me. Physically and verbally hurt my mom. Did you see him physically hurt her? Um, once or twice. What did you see? Um, punching, hitting, pushing. He would punch her, hit her, kick her, yell at her, scream at her. But the judge decided to not allow the videos of Jack and Sarah's interviews to be brought in the court as evidence played in front of the jury. And this was because according to the prosecution, Jack had actually changed his story right before the trial. And they just didn't feel like he was a credible enough witness to use his interview as evidence. The prosecution actually blocked a lot of evidence that the defense just wasn't able to use, such as Tom and Molly's interviews the night Jason passed away. Now, I really don't know why this wasn't allowed to be used. It seems like it would be actually very crucial considering the fact that that's the one and only time they were ever interviewed by police. According to the defense, the reason why Tom and Molly's interviews were blocked by the prosecution and ultimately the judge was because they really wanted them to have to testify. And the reason why the prosecution wanted Tom and Molly to testify was so that way they could pretty much get them up on the stand and completely shred their credibility. Now Molly ended up not testifying, but Tom did. The tapes that Molly secretly recorded of Tom being verbally abusive to her were also blocked by being played in the court. It's just very confusing why these very crucial pieces of evidence are not allowed to be played in court. I don't even know how they're allowed to get this blocked. I mean, the judge does have to sign off on it. Like I said, I'm really not sure what the reasoning was behind this. After four hours of deliberation, the jury found Tom Martin's and Molly Martin's Corbett guilty of second degree murder. And they were sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison and they were taken into custody immediately. Jurors later came out and spoke about what really caused them to convict Tom and Molly. And the blood spatter evidence, as well as the gruesome nature of Jason's injuries really played a huge part in their conviction. They felt like it was overkill. The amount that Jason was hit and the way in which he was hit, considering the fact that most of the injuries occurred while he was on the ground, this definitely led them to believe that this was not really a self-defense case at all. They thought it was very strange that Tom and Molly had no injuries whatsoever to indicate that there was some sort of altercation that happened. So it led them to believe that there was no altercation and that Jason was just killed. The jury also didn't believe that Tom called 911 right away. They think that they may have taken some time to get their story together before they decided to make that call and maybe Jason could have been saved. The jury also thought that Tom was very reckless because he felt like he could get away with killing Jason because he was an FBI agent for 30 years. But ultimately that's not what happened. 
In 2018, Molly and Tom decided to appeal their convictions and they were actually successful. In 2020, their convictions were overturned and they were granted a retrial. As of 2023, their trial has been pushed back a few times, but it's officially set for November 6th of this year. Their legal teams also filed a motion to get their trial moved out of Davidson County and over to Forsyth County in North Carolina, which is about 35 minutes away. They really did that because they felt like there was too much bias in their current town and they were already convicted there before. Now at first this was actually denied, but eventually it was in fact granted. In 2021, Molly and Tom were actually released on bond after being in jail for almost four years. Now they're awaiting their trial just out free in the public. Like I said, the kids have really suffered a lot in this case. I feel horrible for them. They've gone through so much change at such a young age and it's just really traumatic. And they were so young when everything happened, which is just heartbreaking. It is good that they do have family in order to watch them and protect them and make sure they're okay and do what they can to make up for the fact that their parents aren't there, which is probably so difficult. And their family was really torn apart more than once. They're still having to pick up the pieces. Jack and Sarah are now teenagers. And as far as I know, they're currently still living in Limerick, Ireland with their aunt Tracy. Tracy wrote a book called My Brother Jason. It details Jason's life and his horrific death. Sarah also wrote a book called Noodle Loses Dad. And it's about coping with grief and loss as a child, something that unfortunately she knows about all too well. There's a book titled Noodle Loses Dad. Well, I'm Noodle um, and I wanted to write my book because I wanted to help other children who might be going through difficult times whether it's from divorce to blended families or losing someone that they love or moving. Sarah reads it to kids in schools back in her hometown of Limerick. It's a story that rhymes with Sarah's own life, which means there is sadness to the tale, just as Sarah and Tracy still have. Yeah, well, we have good days and bad days. And um, what we do on our bad days is we sit down, we talk about it, and sometimes there's a little bit of a cry. In 2021, she was actually named as Person of the Year in Limerick, Ireland for her work in helping children overcome grief at a very young age. That is honestly amazing to me, to be able to process your grief at such a young age and then be able to disseminate things in order to help other people do the same thing is so admirable and shows a level of strength that I don't even know I could possess had I gone through everything that she had gone through. And to know that she's turning her pain into something helpful and something productive is just amazing for her to do. And I'm sure it's helping her cope with the loss of her parents as well. Nothing will ever bring them back and it's very hard to move on from something like that. But to know that she taking the steps to help other people cope with such horrible losses as well is really all you can do and it's very admirable. I honestly didn't know what I was going to expect coming out of this case. I didn't know if Tom and Molly were going to be convicted or not, but given the evidence, the jury has to go with whatever they're presented. And if they felt like the evidence proved that Tom and Molly did this deliberately, then that's the verdict. Again, my heart really does go out to Jason's children as well as his family. They lost their brother and they won't ever get him back, but at least they do have a piece of him still here. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and I hope to see you in the water soon.